This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Hey guys, Jeremy here with Simple Little Life, and welcome to episode number 11 of the Simple Little Life podcast. I've got a guest today. I'm really excited to introduce you to James Fleming, or as he's known as the American Wastelander. James, welcome. Hey, nice to be here. A few things I'd, I'd like to talk to you about, and I guess we'll let you kind of introduce yourself for the audience. Um, maybe you could talk about your experience knife making, some of your background, stuff like that. And then if there's a few things that, that maybe we don't get to, I'll ask you some questions. But I'm really kind of interested, in particularly what's happened recently with your, your knife making and stuff. But we can kind of start wherever you feel like you, you need to introduce yourself from. Okay, so um, I started, I think it was 2017. I'm not 100% sure. I can look back through Instagram and see the photos and stuff like that. But it was, um, it was like a year after I moved from Texas to Iowa. Um, and, you know, I started just like anybody else with a 1 by 30 uh, coffee can forge and, and a piece of railroad. Um, and and I've, I've been forging from the start. So, like, okay. there was like hardly ever, you know, I, I came into stock removal about halfway through making knives. Oh, really? That's cool. So what, what made you... What made you do that? Were you more interested in the forging than just the knife making or? I, I, it was a combination of uh, the material I had and, uh, and, and just, I, I thought that's how knives were made. I, di- I didn't know, yeah, you know, yeah. like though I thought, you know, like, Oh, you see these chef knives that come from factories. Obviously they have machines that make those, but as far yeah. as like, knife making for an individual i thought it was always forged when i first started oh really yeah and so was that from watching forged and fire no no so i made it (laughs) a point (laughs) i made it a point uh to not watch forged and fire when i started i didn't start watching forged and fire until like a year ago and and reason for that is because i didn't want to learn bad habits from watching a tv show where they edit out a lot of the process um yeah and, and, and then, you know, I was also watching YouTube videos like yours and Walter Searles and stuff like that, where I'm actually getting good information. Um, and it, it, yeah. it's not the same as learning in person, but it's still, you know, I watch videos and then I go try stuff at home. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and that makes you progress as as a maker in general. But um, so, yeah, I just started. And, and then I was also start I was using spring steel like leaf springs when I first started and you, I don't care how much you did one by 30, you're never going to stop removal a knife with a, a with a full <laughs> spring steel. You have to draw that material out because it's just way too thick. So it was, it was a combination of necessity and not knowing that there was a stock removal. And, and I didn't know how cheap steel was back then either, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Steel. I mean, you, you can buy a 48-inch bar of 1080 from New Jersey Steel Baron for like 20 bucks, including shipping. Yeah. And it's like <laughs> yeah. you can make five knives with that stock removal and and make your money back 10 times over. Yeah. And, and yeah, so and then, uh, you know, you just progress into – finding your own style as a knife maker. Um, you know, like my stuff, I, I looked back and it's not, I don't, I still like, I'm starting 
finally to develop like my styles that I have, like my, I have an EDC style that I, I, I work on. I have my chef stuff and that I just changed up. My chef knives were looking way too much like Bob Kramer stuff. Okay. And I think, it, I think it came from like, I had a client wanted me to make him a chef knife and he just sent me a picture of Bob Kramer's knife. And so <laughs> I, I didn't, I didn't do an exact copy but it, it, it was barely changed. Um, and when I, when I did it, I didn't know, you know, who Bob Kramer was. And then, you know, as you experience more of knife communities and stuff like that, it's like, man, that I can't be doing Bob Kramer's knives. And so mm. I, I changed up my chef knife and then I, I developed, um, my frontier knives, uh, and that, that's the more brute to forge stuff with, with old accents and rawhide sheaths and stuff like that. And, it, and those are the ones that I like doing the most. Um, it's a lot of work, but it's also like they just look amazing, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so that's that's kind of what I'm trying to gear my stuff more to, especially since I've been forging from the start. Like, uh, you know, I forge in a distal taper on those and then grind them clean and then I... I forge in my bevels, uh, which is still hard. Like, mm-hmm. I don't care how long you've been forging them, unless you're like Jason Knight or something. It's not easy to forge in bevels and have them super clean. Yeah. So what is it about that aesthetic? Because it, like, I, I, it's a definite style, and, and I like it too. Your, the knives that you make, they look like really high-end artifacts that were well-preserved. and You know what I mean? Like They look like knives from 150, 200 years ago. Um, it's interesting cause you don't necessarily see a lot of really like younger makers. You're younger, like, I mean, you're not a teenager, but you know, you didn't yeah. start this when you're 50 or 60. Um, it's just interesting yeah. cause you don't see a lot of young makers. Usually it's kind of more modern looking stuff, but yours is very, very traditional. It's really nice, nice stuff. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I don't, I don't, I always like the forge finish on our knives and the more and more I see, um, good quality forged knives, with, with like the forging left in them, um, the more I've been drawn to that. And it's, Jason Knight's a big influence. Um, you know, you you can't, you know, him and Andrew Wozniak from Colony Knife Co. Those two guys are probably have the best forged finished knives I've ever seen. Hmm. I mean, like you get the forged texture, but like their plunge lines are forged in, and you can see it, and wow. it, it's like. You know, I, I get some, you can see, you know, the shadow of a plunge line and stuff like that. I brought like all the knives I have right now and I don't know how well it's going to be able to see. Yeah, I'd be able to see it. So there's a slight plunge line on this before I do did the bevel. Yeah. Um, and this is, the, I watched Jason Knight series, um, and was trying to make one of his choppers and it ended up with way too much steel. <laughs> so oh, okay. this is what I ended up making. And to me, this one, it, it's two things that I really like about forging. I, I don't like grinding all that much. Okay. <laughs> um, so the more I can accomplish through forging, the less I have to do while grinding. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I still leave, like, you have to account for decarb and, and just scale and stuff like that. So you don't want to bring your edge all the way to sharp. Mm-hmm. You, you can bring it pretty close, but you're going to have to grind away 
decarb either way. And if you if you bring your edge all the way to where you want it, then you're just gonna continue to keep grinding it back yeah. instead of just grinding the surface. Yeah. Um, and so there's just over time you develop that skill with the hammer to uh, do less work on a grinder. And that's, that's like one of my main reasons for doing that. Yeah. And, and I don't have like a great grinder set up. I, I made my own grinder. I, I got, um, I got real lucky and I was working for a music store. They had a two by 72 music instrument wall grinder. So it was a slack belt grinder set up. Really? Yeah. And it, and, and the slack belt, I mean, it, it's, uh, like 24 inches from wheel to wheel on the slack belt part for wow yeah and they never used it so um so what kind of instruments are they grinding so they they, i mean typically like if they're like if a luthier is making um you know like a bass neck board uh yeah that's a guitar maker right uh it's it's a string Okay. So like an okay. upright bass, uh, cellos, those all fall within luthiers. There's obviously there's like, there's like, um, there's the classical type luthier who's strictly making classical upright basses and stuff like that. There's the luthier that makes only like electrical guitars. And then there's like classical guitars and stuff like they specialize, but luthier is okay. a string instrument repair or maker. Um, gotcha. And so they just use it to like, um, smooth out, you know, the, the, the necks and stuff like that. Um, but they never used it. So they, they gave it to me and they, obviously that setup doesn't work for knife making, but I have the motor, I have three wheels and I have a frame that I can cut up and reuse. And so, and so that's what I did. I, I, you know, I was like, and then my father-in-law has a lathe. So I turned my two platinum wheels, uh, on his lathe. And, you know, I just have like a piece of angle iron for my platen and stuff like that. I need, I need to do some work on it to make it a, a better system. Like I want to, I want the glass platen because I'm, I've got, I'm fighting a, a dish right now because it's like two years old. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you're, you know, really yeah. boring in with those higher grits. Yeah. Those happen really quick. The, the dishing and a lot of, a lot of, I don't know, there's a lot of people that are really nervous about the glass platen. Um, obviously I think yeah. one thing you'll want to do is put a shelf underneath it. So what I did is I just had a little bar and then I drilled and tapped it to the very bottom of the platen. And then I put mine on with the JB weld. And the key to that, they say, is not to really like, you don't want to clamp it there. So like I put JB weld, make sure you have really good contact because you can see it, right? You want to make sure there's no bubbles in there. And then just little pieces of tape to hold it there as it cures. And I had mine set up probably for like a year and a half. Mm -hmm. And then I was actually making a custom tool rest and... I was doing some crazy, some dumb stuff and actually ended up chipping the face of mine because I had a belt blow up while I was, I was really taking down a lot of material, but I haven't, I don't, I haven't replaced it. It's hard to find like everywhere sold. At least I checked, I don't know, last time I checked was a couple weeks ago, but it seems every time I look they're sold out, but I definitely, I love the glass pot and I think that's a strong move. I've had a lot of people ask me about them and they're, it's amazing. Like I think that went for like two years and it was still really flat, really true. And I actually did notice a difference when I was grinding. I was like, it, it actually, even from brand new, a glass platen to a metal platen, I really do believe I could tell a difference in the flatness of the grind. Oh, that's nuts. Uh, and that's, so like, I, I know, like, there's, 
it's it's like two inches from the top of my platen is where I land in that dish. And it, like you know when you're in there because all all of a sudden your shadow yeah. disappears. <laughs> Like, because it's now behind that yeah. convex surface and it's just like, well, now I can't see my edge and I need to find where I can see it again. It's like, yeah. cause you know, I'm, you know, you're, you're looking at a fraction of an inch after you knock in your 45s to see how you're feathering that bevel back. And, and if that disappears on you, all of a sudden it's just like, Oh, I need to stop and reset. That's crazy. You know, saying once you get those dishes and they kind of become, make them a signature series, you know, it's like a certain con, <laughs> a convex. It's all always in there, yeah. but that's crazy. That's cool. Yeah. So, um, no, the recently you have gone full time in knife making. Is that correct? Yeah. So I've been full time for about two months now. Okay, right on. And so, what was the push for that? Like before, you were an industrial maintenance guy. Probably very similar to what I've done, right? Yeah, so that's, I was going to, from a millwright standpoint, you seem to do a lot more of the setup, and I, I, I did a lot more of the um, overtime maintenance, so like PMs. Oh, okay. um, I, I did a lot of electrical jobs, air jobs, and stuff like that, because I worked on third shift, so I wasn't disturbing, you know, the, the normal function of the plant. Um yeah. Uh, and, you know, I worked with pneumatics, hydraulics. Uh, I worked in a battery factory and I've worked in a window manufacturer. Okay. So, um, you know, I've, I've, I've dealt with, with a lot of like industrial maintenance of conveyors and stuff. Um, and it's a good, it's a, it's a really good paying job. You know, it's hard to be $25 an hour with benefits and all of that stuff. Um, yeah. But, when you're working third shift with a family, it's, it's, it's extremely difficult. Um, so what time was that was, from like midnight so third to shift, eight? No, um, 9 PM to 5 AM. Oh, wow. So yeah. And then I would come home, I'd be up for like, um, until like six or it'd be nine to five thirty. So I'd, I'd come home and be up until like 6, 6.15, and then I'd sleep until about noon. Um, okay. And then I'd get up and help, you know, what, with whatever I could with the kids if they weren't in daycare when they were going to, well, not daycare, but we have Montessori school, which is like an education system, daycare. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so our son was going to yeah. that until all of this COVID stuff happened. But so now, um, you know, like we we're having to not send him – to that uh and and so like it, it was a, it was a bunch of moving stuff around but the, the third shift and then also working for people who you know like the only qualification they have for a management position is a degree you know like they've never been in charge of people and they only care about where they stand on the ladder and the team that supports them and so um so I, you know, like it, it was a combination of all of that and everything going on with COVID and stuff. It's like, it just seemed like a better decision to stay home instead of going and working every night, leaving my family at home every night by themselves. Uh, and, and yeah. knowing that I have income from knives, um, you know, like I'm not booked out five or six months or whatever. I'm, I'm still taking orders as they come in. Um, and luckily that's, that's been pretty, 
continuous. And as long as I keep pushing the knives that I have available, I keep, I, people still show up and, you know, request customs and stuff like that. So, um, and my wife and I talked about it. Like if there's ever a month where, you know, like I'm falling behind, she's like, you know, going to cover down and vice versa. Cause she's, she's self-employed hairstylist. So gotcha. it's kind of the same kind of deal. You know, there, there's times where she's not as busy. And so it's, it's, it's not an easy step. So any, if, you know, like I know a lot of people, that's one of the biggest questions we as knife makers ask is like, when can I do this and only this? And it's like, well, you can do it anytime, but it's not going to be easy. You're going to struggle. Um, income is important. Yeah. Especially when you're running a business, because without income, you can't continue to run that business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I agree. Um, you and I had yeah. like quite a long conversation over the weekend, just on the phone. And we talked about this a bit and it's true. And, and the one thing I really like, you know, listening to the guys on the Knife Talk podcast and, and Jeff Fader especially hammers this is that it's a business, right? Um, I mean, I've said it before and, and it, there's a certain sense where if I, if the company that I had worked for didn't go bankrupt, I would still be a hobby knife maker. And it, it's just kind of happenstance and it ended up this way and I'm grateful for it. It's a fun job. But like I told you on the phone, it feels like a job to me, right? Like I go to work and it's not like, oh, you know, what am I going to do today? Let's get all, what do I feel like doing? It's like, no, I've got a list of knives that I'm making for customers and, and they have to get done, you know? So biggest thing, you know, so many, and I don't know why, I, I guess having gone through it, I don't really know why I felt, I felt the same way, right? I thought, oh man, can you imagine being a full-time knife maker? That'd be amazing. And then all of a sudden your job's gone. It's like, well, let me try this. Um, and, and there was a sense where it's like, oh, to get full-time would be amazing. But, you know, here now, like that I am full-time, I wish I could go back to, um, hobby. I, I don't know. I, I guess it's, it's such a hard thing because you have to work no matter what. You got to bring money in and, you know, you could either shovel manure at a feedlot or you could make knives. So it's actually, it's a, it's a great job to have. But the biggest thing, especially for the young, uh, the new makers out there that, that see this as hopefully becoming a career, great option, excellent. But I think they should understand that some of that raw joy and, and passion is going to go away. And yeah. it is going to become a job. It needs to become a job. Yeah, it it needs to be a job. But I think there also needs to be a balance for creativity. So if you're only yeah. making knives that people want, you're not making the knives that are improving you as a knife maker or making new models and designs that you want to do. That will sell. But you yeah. make knives. Yeah. If they look good. You, you already get the function down, obviously. Function's priority. M- make sure you have a knife that can hold an edge and that it's sharp when you send it out. I don't, I don't care if you wrap, slap rubber on the handle. If that knife can do its job and cut, it's a good knife. So get the function mm-hmm. down. Once you have function down, and that's a process that's set, then you start working on, okay, well, how can I make this knife cool? How, how can I, you know, like, mm-hmm. what can I change about this style, this design, this what can I, what can I change for these specific tasks like skinning or like, you know, I, I know, you know, maintenance people, people who do work on machines like to carry a small knife for, you know, small purposes, you know, like cutting, cutting zip ties and stuff like that, you know, a small utilitarian knife. And, and so just make sure that the knife for its use is made properly for that specific use. And then that's when you get into all the other 
fanciness um, of the knife. And, and so that's what I'm trying to kind of do. Like I'm still taking those orders, but I, you know, with forging, you know, uh, I try to keep multiple pieces of um, stock in the forge while I'm forging at, at a time. So say, say I have five orders, three of those may be stock removal. And then the other two are for, mm-hmm. forge knives. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to forge five knives. If I have that propane burning, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to get my monies out of the propane. And then I have those other couple of knives okay. to work on in between processes. So that makes sense. handle scales gluing up. I can work on these knives yeah. and stuff like that. Uh, and, and, I do that because I don't want to fall in this um, this pattern of only making knives specific to the individuals wanting to buy them. I also want to try to have stock on hand uh, because it's, you know, like if I have a knife available and I can push that knife and push that knife, that's also like there's no dead water in, in my like marketing. And I use Instagram as marketing. So if, if like I'm, you know, in the process of making knives for people, but I have this one that I, I finished in my last batch. I can promote that knife and get it sold and make up some of the, the money there. And that's an important thing too. I, I guess if somebody ever wants to go full time, there's you know there's full time knife making, but within that, there's different ways to do it. You know, like some people mm-hmm. are are pre sale, right? Like I had the option. I don't think I'll ever do it again. But where people could just go and and essentially kind of build a custom knife on my website, and I ended up getting just in incredibly bogged down like so many orders that i i literally didn't have time just to make a knife and one of my favorite things to do about knife making is to take a blank piece of paper and just start just start throwing some lines around and and come up with something you erase it and and in about 10 minutes i've got a knife that i've never seen before you know just a profile drawn out and i'll take that and i'm so excited to turn that into a blade and see what it's like in reality you know how does it work how does the shape you know what does it do and I haven't been able to do that for months and it's, I don't know. I, I think that's an important part too. If, if someone does go full time and this was, I think I didn't necessarily manage the way that I did things properly. And so I was literally just taking orders of knives that I had made before and it was a big, big list. And so I, I didn't have time for that expression stuff, you know, and then, and there's also the other side. I, I know some people that will not take a custom order. And I think I'm, I'm, I don't know, maybe I've gone so far the other way. That's how I feel like I want to proceed in the future. Once I get all my orders caught up, I'm just going to say, I'm sorry, I won't, I won't make a custom knife for anybody. You can let me know what you might be interested in. And I might be like, yeah, Yeah. I could do one of those. But, um, I love the idea of when a knife is ready to ship out, that's when people can buy it because then ultimately there's nobody like, Hey, listen, where's my knife? Where's this? And that's, you know, if you don't manage it, you can get yourself in, in a not hot water, but you're always got somebody breathing down your neck, right? And that that itself kind of sucks some of the joy out of it. So, I think it's important if for for people that want to get into uh, full time knife making, just think about how you're going to plan. And even like you said, like you market on Instagram. Um, I, I honestly don't know that you need a website in this day and age. I, I don't think it can hurt. And then there's some people that that they rely on it, right? They'll do uh, a newsletter. So I've got five knives available at the end of every week and I do a newsletter and they get the first dibs. Anything left over goes to Instagram. So all these things, but I think it's important to think about what you like to do as a maker and have that shape what full-time knife making would look like to you. Because even from the way you do things, to the way I do things, we're both full-time makers, but we 
we do it very different and we run our businesses different. And so yeah. that's the one thing to think about too, is, is make sure that you can set it up for a way that you think is going to work for you. Yeah. And that's so I full time. So full custom knives, I'm, I'm trying to push full customs. Like, um, I don't like doing full customs. I don't like somebody having control over like, I don't like to have to buy material to make that knife. I want everything on hand. And, and when you do full customs that, you know, people are like, Oh, like I'm, I'm working on a full custom right now. And the guy is super picky with everything he wants. He wants dark, like very dark blue mammoth tooth scales. Uh, he wants a five point star, uh, mosaic pen. Uh, he wants Damascus on the, the one thing about this knife that's not full custom is it's one of my models. Um, and so it, it's, it's my EDC Skinner. But everything else, like he, like so, I have to find That's the mammoth tooth. I had to find, yeah, and, and so I, normally I don't do it. I went full time, and so I'm just like, yeah. all right, let me see. You know, I gotta take, I gotta take the money while it, it, it's there, and and you know, he he's also he also purchased one of the knives I had available, so it's like, all right, you know, he he's definitely gonna pay for these. So it's just, it's I'm I'm branching away from. If I don't have it in stock, you don't get it. Um, and and I mm-hmm. keep, you know, like I have some mammoth tooth in stock, but you know, mammoth tooth is expensive. Um, so how much is it? Like I've never ever even looked. So into it. to do a full size knife, uh, I think inch inch and a quarter by four and a half to five inches of mammoth tooth. Um, smaller than a quarter inch thick you're looking at 140 dollars oh wow <laughs> yeah and mammoth mammoth tusk like the bark that's even more expensive you're looking at 240 to 300 dollars wow um and i don't do a lot of that stuff because of that because that's that's a lot of money um sitting you know that's I, crazy i have some mammoth stuff i if i see a deal I'll i'll try to take it so that way i'm not paying that 140 every time but i'm also not offering it to everybody and typically you know like if i if i'm buying a 140 dollar handle material that knife is gonna be expensive <laughs> yeah yeah no you know, kidding because like, one i i don't price my stuff based off the materials i use that's that doesn't make any sense to me. You know, like your steel, when you price it out, you're like spending $4 on the steel for the knife. Your, your handle material is like 30 bucks for like really good, uh, stabilized, colorful, like nice woods. Uh, your pen materials, like pennies, you know, like, um, and, and then everything for me is based off of how long it takes me. Well, if I'm working mammoth tooth, one, it's harder to work because it's, it's ingrained with, you know, minerals like rock. Yeah. Like there, that stuff's deposited in there. So it takes you longer. You have to be more, it's more finesse work because it has, it's more prone to chipping because it's harder. It's also way more expensive. So if you ruin a pair, if you ruin yeah. mammoth tooth, you're ruining $140. Yeah. So, that's crazy. So like all of that, stuff considered is how I price my knives. And, you know, like if I, I don't make Damascus. So when I buy it from people, you know, I'm, I'm charging for that full billet of Damascus regardless. If somebody wants a Damascus knife from me, I'm charging that full price on every knife because say, say that Damascus has an inclusion that I couldn't see. Well, now I have to forge it back out 
That's true. You know, it's just stuff like that. It's like, if you want these things then you're going to have to pay for that markup and it's just, it's to keep me from like losing too much money on making a knife. Like I don't want to lose money. Like the whole purpose of going full time is to make money off the knives and not lose it. Um, and so it's just stuff like, and and even to sell them in the first place too, yeah. right? Like, like I've seen some of these, I, I follow a few people and they make good knives. Like, They've only been doing it for a few years, but nice knives. And I'll see like knives offered like a full size four or five inch blade hunting knife with a leather sheath for $125 shipped. I'm like, you're out of your mind. Like, yeah, I know materials aren't there, but what's your time worth? And do you want it to ever be sustainable? You know, it's the same thing when I was a photographer, right? Like I give people my wedding package and they're like, oh, but my sister-in-law owns Picks and Giggles photography and she'll do it for 300 bucks. I'm like, well, then you yeah. should get her, you know, you, you can have her photos. Yeah, and, and that's but, that's like I it's crazy. I'm, I'm a heavily tattooed person. You can see it. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, like my, a bunch of my friends down in Texas that I grew up with are tattoo artists, and I've been in like I've been hanging out in the shop, and someone will come in, and you know, like I ask about this tattoo, and it's like they're asking for a lot, and then you know they get told the price, and it's like, well, my buddy quoted me fifty bucks, and it's like, well, go to your buddy. <laughs> Because they're not like one, you're going to pay for the quality and, and you're yeah. not going to get that high of quality. So like charge your worth, you know, I've, I've always believed that like, you know, like I think my skill level as a knife maker is better than my skill level as an industrial maintenance technician. I was making $25 an hour as a maintenance technician. So, you know, like it, it's, it's that level. I don't quite make $25 an hour on every knife, but I, I don't. You know, like it, it evens out to a way where I'm still making good money, yeah, and it has to, and able to support a business and my family. You, you can't, you can't run a business and not make money. Yeah, that's a huge thing too. Is a, and especially yeah. when when people are like, "Hey, I'd like to get into knife making, and I'd like to go full time." Right now, I sell a, a fully completed knife for 125 bucks. It's like, when are you going to make that jump, man? Like literally, even if you're an amateur. Or not? I shouldn't. I shouldn't say amateur. I don't, want, I don't want to say that. But you're not full time, right? You don't rely on your knife making. If you if you put a lot yeah. of work into a hunting knife, charge three or four hundred dollars if it's a good knife. And the beauty about that is that you can wait for that sale to happen, right? It's not like that's where your income is, and, and that's why I think it's so important that I mean, obviously, you make three knives and you're working on your fourth one, and it you know the plunge line looks terrible and the grind line at the top's all wonky. Well, you know that might be a $125 knife because aesthetically you can see all the flaws and, and you haven't progressed your skills. But once you make a nice knife, I, I think one mistake I see more than overpricing is underpricing for the the vast majority of knife makers. I mean, there's certain guys that are mm -hmm. high level and they do just amazing Damascus or even, you know, just different knives. But people are making just a, a handmade knife that's, that's a good everyday kitchen knife or whatever, an EDC knife. I, I honestly think there's more underpriced makers than overpriced. Yeah. And it cheapens entire industry. It, and it does. It, the, and I talked to a lot of newer makers and it's, it's weird coming from where I started to where I am now and having people asking me for information. Like I never thought that would happen in this progression of my night making. Um, <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, like, <laughs> You know, I'm one of the people who like watched your videos starting out mm -hmm. and, and where I am now. Like, I, I never thought I'd be sitting on a podcast talking to you about knife making. And it's just like. And if, if I ever get into like if I ever really want to get into forging, 
man, I would love to just spend a day or two with you because I could learn from you. Because in, in, you know what I mean? In your knife making, you are far above my level. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's, it's interesting how your skills develop and within different areas of it. Yeah. And, and it's, it's crazy because like I listened to the episode where you were talking to Bob Rankin and him and I started around the same time. And that dude's Damascus is yeah. like phenomenal. And it's just like, I know it's crazy. It, it's insane to me to, because I don't have the means to do Damascus. Like I, you know, I've, I've done, I've made a couple of knives, like a couple of Damascus knives. Um, I, I use like cable Damascus because you, you pretty much twist it and it welds together if you twist it tight enough and then you can hammer it and you still end up with tiny D lambs, but it's not, you know, like Damascus where if you get a D lamb and, and pattern welded lay, laminated steel, if that D lamb starts in here, it's going to go all the way through. Um, yeah. Do you have a desire to make Damascus in the future? Or is that just something I do, but I, I don't have a desire to do it by hand. Yeah. Because no, it's, I don't, it's, I don't make yeah, people do. It's a quality thing. You know, I, I can't, it's, it's just like with my even heat, you know, I got that even heat like 10 months ago and I, I can positively guarantee the quality of my heat treat, you know, whereas I was doing it in a forge and I was like, and I was telling people, you know, like, as long as you use this knife, like a knife and not like a screwdriver or anything, it should be fine. But if it, if you get a random chip from cutting something or anything like that, or even like my outdoor knives, if you're batoning wood and it randomly breaks, I'll remake that knife. But now it's like, I can guarantee the quality of that steel because I'm, I'm using a recipe yeah. to heat treat that knife. And so it's just like, it's one of those things where I want to be able to guarantee the Damascus that I'm making before I'm making Damascus yeah. for to sell. And so, and that's like one of the cable knives that I made. I, I, I still have, I, I had an offer to, for somebody to buy it. And I was just like, I, I don't really think I can let this go because I don't, I'm not a hundred percent on it. And it's mm-hmm. just stuff like that. You know, you were talking about, you know, a lot of flawed knives end up in your kitchen drawer and it's like, mm-hmm. I've got a few in mind too. Yeah, um, it's nice. <laughs> I've got a lot of nice knives yeah, in my kitchen that aren't perfect, you know. Yeah, I've got a lot of not nice knives in my kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> um, One side's nice, the other side's nice. You always lay it down a certain way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's just like you know, you have to have those knives in order to to get where you are. Uh, you can't. I, I, I truly, you can't sell every knife you make. If, and if you do, you're lying to people because not every knife, you know, like if you try something new and it works out perfectly, then hell yeah, sell that knife. But, um, if, if it doesn't, if it, if it doesn't meet your standards, uh, then don't sell that knife. And that's part of my pricing. You know, that's where I figure in, okay, you know, I'm, I'm, making this knife with the understanding that if it doesn't meet my requirements, I'm not going to send it out to the customer and I'm going to start a new knife over and that's lost yeah. income. And I think everybody's like that. Um, yes. I, I still like, obviously it happens less and less as you progress, but I'll be working on a knife and I'll just, I'll be almost there, you know, like kitchen knife. And I've got a lot, a lot of times I like to leave the scale on the flats just for visual aesthetic. And mm-hmm. I'll be like coming in, I'm less than 10 thou on my cutting edge. And both sides are even, everything's going great. And, you know, I'll accidentally touch the flat with my belt. Well, now that knife was, 
I, I mean, I, I could try and salvage it, maybe in hand send the entire thing, like grind all that scale off. But my customer ordered one that had the scale on it. And so it's gone. And like, I've got two of them in my drawer right now that happened last month. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, it, it's such a, it can happen so quick, depending on, on the style, like certain knives are a little bit more finicky than others, but um, that's just part of it, you know? Uh, but it's like you say, I mean, that's all of a sudden I can't sell that knife. You know, it's, yeah. Even though I make a lot of good knives and the ones that my customers get are represent the very best I can do. Every every day I still do stupid stuff. It's like, well, I don't wreck a knife every day, but at least once a month probably I wreck a knife. That's just that's just part of learning, you know, still learning. Yeah, I actually so I made a knife, the the last knife that I like got to a, in in the hands of a, a client or customer. Um I screwed up the scales on one side of that knife three times. I had to remake wow. the, and, and luckily enough, you know, um, what it, I was doing a multi-piece, uh, construction and I was using some true North, um, fire hose, my Uh, okay. Yep. Yeah. And, Rob. and I, I did a carbon fiber, um, like multi-piece scale and they went on a slant. Um, and so I, when I was putting those on the scales that I made weren't even, no, I just cut them out and like, it was like, all right, I'll, you know, I'll line them up. And the the way it looked is like, I had them lined up perfectly, but one stuck out further. So I, because of that slant, I had them lined up about a 16th off. And that was way too much. You know, like when you're doing those multi-piece constructions, you, you do any dovetail or anything like that. If you're, if you're within a 32nd off, it's it's visual, but it's not enough to say, all right, I need to scrap this and start over. Yeah. Um, but if you're if you're any more than a thirty second, if you, if you're any more than that that's that real tiny fraction, then it's it's just slapping you in the face every time you look at that knife, and it's like, all right, I need to I need yeah. to redo that because. And the the way I look at it is like, the person who buys my knife isn't going to see every single scratch that I didn't get out of it. But if, if I had pick up this knife and automatically, if, if that's something that automatically catches my eyesight, then that's not acceptable. I need to fix that. I, I had to go so far as to punch the pan, pins out with a, a, a like pin punch. Oh, okay. Luckily enough, I didn't screw up the one side that was good. I knocked off the, the other side, uh, cleaned the epoxy off of everything, got it all set back up. I when I do multi-piece scales, what I do is I, yeah. I, um, I epoxy them to a backer or um, a spacer. And it just makes it, because, you know, I see people where they take the pieces and then they'll just glue them together on top of, like, um, parchment paper or something, and then that's their scale. But I think um, for structural purposes, I have that rigid one piece that holds everything together. Um, yeah, I do the same and, thing. I think it's a lot better. Yeah, and so I put that on backwards. I put the spacer oh, on no. the opposite <laughs> side. So I had to pull that off without breaking the, everything else and then wow. flatten everything back up and then put it back on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then get it on the knife. And But, I mean, it turned out just fine. It just took me forever to do. And that's something I'm willing to do. You know, like, yeah, it, it, the knife was messed up. And, you know, by all means, like, 
I could have sent the knife to the, I could have gave the knife to the guy and it worked just fine. And the only thing is though, looking at the back and the front of that handle of the knife where it meets up, you can see that they don't line up. And I was just like, I, I can't let that go. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So yeah. it's just. And I think like you would probably notice far more than your customers do. Right? I think that's one thing everybody says that we notice our own mistakes more, but at the same time, you got to be careful not to let that go. Um, I remember one of the one of the first decent knives I bought was a Bark River, and I, they were like a semi-production knife. Uh, the bevels are ground in by hand, but it's one guy, and he's doing dozens or, I don't know, maybe even 100 a day, right? Like, they sell a lot of knives. And I remember I was so impressed with this knife, and I kind of got it around the same time I started getting serious about making my own knives. And I remember one day I was kind of, I gave it the look over that I do when I'm in the middle of grinding. You know, I'll look at the spine and make sure... Um, you know, you make sure the grinds come evenly on both sides that the, you know, when you're looking down at the spine you've got, I always kind of mark it out with a little Sharpie where this one ends, like where the flat starts and where this flat starts. And I looked at this Bark River and I'm not joking, it's a quarter inch out. So this side was ground and I was, but, and, but the way they do it, they keep uh, like soft grind lines, looks like a scotch bright even on the flats. So you don't really notice the grind lines, Oh, right? It's like, you know, sometimes- So they do- yeah, they, they do blended lines like on chef knives. Yeah, exactly. This is like a mul- yeah, and no, so no. and so you you can't see it. Like looking at it, it's like oh wow, it's cool. It's just nice satin that runs um, like opposite the length of the blade. It uh, looks like it just took the entire thing to a scotch brand. That's a wonderful way to hide mistakes. But when I actually took a little mm-hmm. marked it, marked it is literally a quarter inch out, and and this knife isn't big. It's like a three and a half inch blade. <laughs> so it is so funny because I thought, wow, you know, I here I thought I bought a really good knife, and I I've been using this knife probably for five years, and it, it their heat treat is absolutely phenomenal. So you know, to that end, they're doing it right, and and really that's the most important part. Like like the edge retention, and I absolutely still really really like this knife. It's a two tool steel. Um, oh nice! But it it's so funny because you know I thought oh I got a really good knife, and then when I started looking at once I learned how to make knives. But I think if I had never ever made a knife or even multiple knives, I would never have noticed that flaw. Right, and and that's a certain sense where you know I think most people could own that knife and they'll never know that so far out. You know, but the same yeah, time, yeah, that's not something you would ever look for. But it, no. but as a knife maker, you, it's like okay, now you you saw that, so you understand that one side of those bevels has a different geometry than the other side. So yeah. if, if it's like put through practical t- cut tests, you'll notice mm-hmm. uh, that it 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 cuts funny. I I yeah. don't know. I'd like I would kind of equate something like that to. Um, like chisel grind knives. Yeah. Like, you know, cause they have that, they only, they're only sharpened or beveled on one side. And so they give you a very specific cut. Uh, that's yeah. weird. Yeah, it is. It's, uh, it's hard to get used to. I've got a couple chisel ground knives, um, for utility and stuff. They're handy in the shop. Cause uh, a lot of times, a lot of like fine woodworkers will use smaller versions for marking lines and stuff. But, uh, yeah, I've got one. Mora makes one. It's like, uh, I don't know, like a, a a woodworking tradesman's knife, and it's also got a chisel tip, so you can actually literally like scrape paint with it, or actually like oh, nice. you know do some chisel work and stuff. But um, yeah, when you carve with it, like if I just carve sticks for like marshmallows or something, uh, you can tell it's kind of it's a little different. Like you kind of have to twist the blade in with your wrist. Yeah. Otherwise, you just got the flat pot. The flat spot doesn't dig in at all. But it also feels like you can kind of control the depth of cut a little bit more. Mm-hmm. 
because you've only got the one angle that you're, I don't know, it's interesting, but yeah. Well, I think of it as like, um, is it a draw knife where yep. it has like, comes down, you have two handles and yep. you're using it for wood. I mean, that's the same grind that's on those. Those are a little more um, convex or yeah, convex edge. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's, yeah, I, I see, who's that? Uh, DB Knives. Yeah. He does a lot of chisel grinds and he does a lot of crazy stuff like grinding kn- I know. knives that are super, <laughs> super thick. Oh, One man. inch titanium knife. <laughs> hey, cool. That is. He's fine. I like, I like his stuff. He's like, this isn't the best, but I'm going to do it anyway. He's like, yeah, good for you. He's like, I'm going to do it because I'm not, I'm never going to spend that much money on titanium and just waste yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> but he does and it's like you know like it comes out awesome yeah yeah you know there's a certain Uh, sense where yeah like like knives are fun right and 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 like you'd said form over everything uh or function over everything but but then there's also Mm -hmm. some sometimes like you know i find especially in the edc community um there's some weird knives like what some of the stuff that db does or, or some of these other guys and people just freak out over them and certain ones i mean knives are so personal preference base but there's some knives that i really like and i'm like i would love to own that and carry it that when i look from a functional standpoint I'm like that actually be a pretty terrible knife it's really thick uh it's probably not going to cut well but somehow it's like don't care like the 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 chunky monkey that i make <laughs> i mean performance wise if you're like chopping up like one inch sticks or something it's great because it's, it's got the heft of a of a you know little cleaver or something um but people like that knife and and that's one of my most popular models and I get a lot of comments on my YouTube video I did about it. it's like this thing's completely impractical. It's not a good performer. I'm like, the steel's heat treated properly. It's ground well. It's even. But you're right. It's a very very thick blade. You know. Um, yeah. But it's just funny how there's that area where it's like function is important. But man, this thing looks so cool. You know, this is half inch titanium, just single bevel. <laughs> it's like I want it. You know, with a built in punch knuckle. Yeah. And I I think. I think that's a lot of it. Like when you, the thicker you go, the crisper everything looks. Your your yeah. bevels. I mean, you get a really nicely defined like line at the top of your bevels. You get a really nice swooping plunge line to your bevel. You know, but you know when you come all the way down to that edge, like even if you're bringing that edge to a complete zero, if you're doing a Scandi grind on those, that's still a really thick that's not a, an acute angle that's very obtuse at that edge yeah and yeah. and so i i mean like some of my knives are pretty thick at the spine they're long or thick wasted not knives you know and then so i do get a nice fine edge at the at the end but you know like some of i tr- it sucks because you you want that aesthetic you want super crisp grind lines mm-hmm. you know but you also want that functionality and usability and um and it, it's weird because like with my forge stuff i don't care if the the grind lines are crisp because they're not going to be you forge texture is going to make it you know like mountainous and stuff like that like he, i have mm-hmm. yeah it's not yeah, noticeable i mean this is i they're not going to see this obviously but they can hear so this is a EDC Tonto that I do that's hand forged and you can see like it's you you can follow the the line but it's it's kind of wavy and then yeah. the same on this side but you see there's that one spot right there that yeah. the hammer got kind of away from me 
but it's still, you know, like you can fill it with your finger, but it's flat. And, and um, I don't know if it's pretty thick still, but it's not so thick. It, like the EDC community, I've seen some flippers where it was like, the handles paper thin and then the blade itself is like the whole knife and it's like holy crap like how does that make any sense three eighths inch thick at the spine or something ridiculous yeah when it's true like when like you're saying uh everything's crisper because you you think about it it you look at the discrepancy along your plunge line sorry yeah your grind line up top you know you're talking you know a few thousandths of an inch you're gonna see that on a super if your angle's really tight Right. Whereas if you're coming up like this, man, you can, there's so much more forgiveness. You can be more out in your grind line. It can, it can be, you know, less accurate and you won't see it as compared to, you know, I've tried putting like an actual grind line on the top of a 16th inch, uh, 16th of an inch thick blade and actually leave a little bit of flat on there. Oh, it's especially on both sides. Right. And it's like, wow. Yeah. Like chef knives are the the hardest to get like clean unless you're going unless you're you're i mean chef knives you you can do it two ways you can you can start with that really thin knife you know that i from what i've talked to chef knives about they like the real thin stuff like japanese thin Mm -hmm. and and so you can you can do that and you can grind up and you can get you know somewhat super clean grind lines but it it just still blends you know, like I don't care how clean it is, especially if you touch it with Scotch-Brite, that Scotch-Brite's going to roll that line right away. And then you can, or you can start with the thicker stuff and have that nice wide belly, not, you know, like two inches-ish, two and a half inches max. Yeah. And, yeah. and you can get crisper lines, but you still have that extra weight in the knife. So you're, you're branching in kind of like more cleaver realm, but or butcher knife realm, but still like, I don't know. It's, it's weird because like, I prefer like blended lines on my chef knives. Um, yeah. Like even if I'm going to do like a, an acid finish on the edge or a patina, uh, I don't usually do plunge lines. Um, I, I have been messing with that lately, but I still kind of keep it blended. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah yeah um you know where and, i learned and, to do that so like with sorry go ahead the the blended plunge lines yeah did you ever see ecom knives tutorial that he had he did on youtube about that yeah oh that's God, so good yes. his, that's his stuff too i i wish he was still doing youtube videos but um his fit and finish and he's such a small setup to so yeah. to see him like basically turning around to use different machines in the shop and and how how you can have like the minimal setup and still come out with these like super intricate and hard to make folders like it his stuff but yeah i, I think i saw a blending video that he did and yeah, that's where I saw it. And yeah. Man, that's good information. And I, I like that look too, especially for a kitchen knife. Uh, also, practically too, yeah. uh, I've seen some people yeah. that do kitchen knives and they'll have their hard uh, plunge line. And then at the end of the heel, they've got like the full stock thickness. Well, yeah. you, you know, kitchen knives are typically, you don't necessarily want that, right? Like usually mm-hmm. the, the heel's a lot 
bigger than an EDC, so you don't really have to worry about grabbing the knife at that spot. But I think that's one of the biggest reasons why I like the Japanese styled knives, where you just because I don't have to worry about a, a grind line. Uh, you know, yeah. it's just the sorry, it's just the grind line, not the plunge line. Um, but yeah, and some people when they do them, they blend them like that. It looks so neat, you know. Yeah, it, it, it's because I mean, you one you I like a good satin finish on a chef knife, and you you can accomplish that on a, on a belt if you have really good Scotch Bright. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, it, there's just something about because like, when you wipe when you wipe food and water and grease off your knife, you're wiping the length of the blade. Yeah. So it's like it's the one knife where I'm like, you know, every now and then I'll be like, maybe I'll just do a belt finish and end up hand sanding anyway because you know I'm wiping oil on it and yeah. it's it's making my lines more apparent. So I just like end up hand sanding them regardless. Um, and it's it's the way chef knives are made and the length and the thickness and or not the thickness but the the width of them they're so there's so much to look at in the blade you know whereas like an edc knife your blade is almost if not the exact same size as your handle yeah that's true and so you know the central focus is a combination of the two whereas on a chef knife your central focus is on the finish of the blade that's true I mean, I you never can get away that. with having yeah and and if, if you're like don Wen and you know you you do these really intricate handles and stuff like that that's going to catch people's focus but he also has that beautiful satin finish running the length of the blade yeah and so that's 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 i prefer a satin finish unless obviously if you're doing damascus you end up hand sanding anyway but i don't do a lot of damascus chef knives because that's a lot of damascus to use yeah yeah that's cool um and then i noticed too like uh seeing your Instagram and stuff, you had been getting, a, you've been putting a lot of stuff away for Blade Show. Yeah. And I, that thing just went. Yeah. So I had about 20 knives near completion, minus cheese and stuff wow. like that. Um, and I made, I even made a show knife. I paxed in at 5050 Forge. I know he was mentioned on a previous episode. He, him and I worked out a, Dema- a mosaic Damascus pattern for a show Bowie that I made. Um, the show Bowie is his Damascus I that I forged into a blade shape. Um, and it's kind of like this snaking pattern. It kind of looks like waves crashing against the shore. Um, and then I used wrought iron for my S guard. I braised gold on it using um, D- uh, Delicious techniques of brazing and okay. it's 14 karat gold. I, I brazed it onto the guard wow. and the frame. Um, and then it's got vintage bronze. And when I say vintage, I mean like my, my wife's cousin, his dad, um, he, he died about five years ago, but he made Bowie knives way back in the day. Really? He had some bronze that I got from their estate sale that has to be over 60 years. Oh, wow. Because he, he hasn't made knives for at least that long. That's cool. And you could smell it. You could oh, smell really? like, yeah, like you could smell like it had been sitting in a basement. Yeah. It's weird how yeah, some of those like, metals, like same with brass. Old brass has a, a smell to it. It's like, oh, man, you can just tell. It, and it was like kind of oily. It was really weird as I was grinding huh. into it and getting it hot. It would like seep. 
and it was, so it was just like this is insane that it's doing this but at the same time like it, it really told me how old this material was and then yeah well and that's one of the reasons to use bronze too right like for bearings and stuff centered bronze yeah. and uh you can actually force oil through bronze yeah. and then you know we have to learn how to do that in school oh, for nuts. bronze bearings and stuff but that's nuts yeah, yeah. so so i and then i have mammoth uh, ivory bark for my handles and it, it's the this is the only time i've ever made a knife like this it's the only show knife i've ever made it's the only frame handle construction i've ever done uh i you know i went all out on it so it's got the the mammoth bar i have it here with me but i know they can't see but you can yeah let's so check it out wow that yeah that thing's unbelievable that's uh i mean that's uh that's incredible. I can't believe I can't believe you've, you haven't been making knives for 25 years already to do that. Yeah, and that's so insane. I, <laughs> you I, look and, at that compared to what you put uh, cuz you were uh you shared one of your knives for viewers knives. Yes, I did. Right? Was like, it the second or third? It, it's so incredible I, to see how far you've come. My first batch of knives um I I I had the the favorite knife I did. I sent to you for a viewer's knife episode. And um, so it was technically they're all the first knives. Um, so it was basically my first knife. And then, yeah, I mean, I like, this thing took me like three months. Wow. Um, and, I, you know, it's when you're doing a new process, you're always a little more hesitant about doing it. Um, and so, you know, especially like this was an expensive knife for me to make. You know, yeah. the, the handle scales on it are $275. The Damascus, you know, wasn't Can you cheap. put it up again? Gold. Yeah. The I gold like, I like the, you should just put it in front of the camera for the rest of the conversation because I can <laughs> stare at that all day long. Just look at That's the way incredible. the Damascus, like, yeah. And and I did, like, my maker's mark is really subtle. Yeah. Wow. And then, like, the banding yeah. on that top of the handle, like, under the guard there and stuff. Yeah, and then I wow. smooth all the edges, all the Damascus is etched, even down here. And, wow. and then like there's no seam where it meets up. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it, for it, anybody it just, listening right now, you have to go uh, Instagram, American Wastelander, find the photos of this boy. Uh, you should actually put it up recent in your feed so that people listening to this. Yeah, I think that's just, what I'm going to do. I, um, yeah. So I'm, I'm going to send this out to Wilburn Leather. Okay. Um, and she's gonna make a sheath for it, and then um, it's gonna go from there to Sharp by Coop for pictures. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good call. And it's, it's like I've already spent, you know, I've I've probably spent over a thousand dollars just making the knife. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So I mean, it's not cheap, and so the price tag on it is nowhere yeah. near cheap. <laughs> um, but I'm I was making it specifically for Blade Show to enter into like the amateur. Um, you know, like show knife and yeah. stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, like I said, I made like 20 knives. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I was talking to some people before going, I had everything planned and set up, you know, it, originally I was supposed to have enough, another knife maker sit at the table and sell some of his knives okay. too. Uh, and then that, that, that fizzled out after it got postponed and then, you know, it, it was like a bittersweet kind of moment when they were like, it's fully canceled. It was like, okay, well, you know, shit's weird. So mm -hmm. let's go ahead and not do it. And then I had stock on hand that I could sell. Yeah. Obviously, like they're not blade show prices, but they're 
I'm still, you know, pushing them and selling them. And so, so what do you mean by blade show price? I've never been. Is it ch- typically more money at blade show or less? I, I, I was charging, you know, like an, I'm, I have to sell these now, yeah. you know, whereas at blade show, I can sell them at the full price. I was planning on yep. getting them. Um, but now I'm sitting on them and I want them sold kind of deal. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, but at blade show, you know, like I'm, the price is like, there's not really like, I, I wasn't going to budge. There's not going to be no haggling kind of thing. And yeah, no, yeah, no makes discounts sense. Discounts other than like my typical military discount that I do. Um, and, and then, so like, it was just kind of, you know, like these were the prices I really wanted from all these knives, but now it's like, okay, I want to get them sold. So, you know, like there's a little wiggle room, but, um, I mean, also people who go to blade show, like the, the people who attend a blade show go there to buy knives. You know, I've seen folders that were like three or $4,000 from blade show. And it's like, you know, my, my show knife is in that range. So yeah. it's like, and, and are you going to enter like next year? Yeah. Um, I plan on doing my journeyman Smith next year. So All right I, on. I've, I'm not going to say who I've talked to. I've, you know who it is, but, um, yeah, yeah. I just don't want to. Everybody knows who it is, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the so the person I'm going to do my test knife with, that's the knife that you put through all the paces, you know, cutting rope, two by fours and stuff like that. Um, I'm, I'm, I, I need to hit him up and just work out a time to come down to where he lives and, and do that. And then I'll, I'll make my five knives for the show, for the panel. Those scare me. Like the test knife, I feel like is the easy part because you get your heat treat right. You know, you, you don't have to fancy up the knife. Nobody's looking at your grind lines. Nobody's looking at your hand sanding lines to make sure they're all perpendicular. Nobody's testing your edge to make sure it's within a thousandth of a degree of, you know, all along. Okay. So, so, so they basically have one knife that's just cutting performance. Yeah. So you do six knives to see how, oh, okay. So one's yeah. your performance knife and you have, from what I gather, you have to do that prior to blade show. And then okay. you take your show knives or your journeyman Smith test knives. And they're literally all they are is a, a the visual and then your preciseness. Oh, really? Yeah. So, um, you know, like, uh, Liam Hoffman did his and, he had Jason Knight look them over before he went and he did a few integrals and he was just like, you know, cause if you're doing an integral, especially if you're doing an integral guard and not an integral bolster, cause an integral bolster, you can have those smooth transitions, you know, from like a radius wheel, but an integral guard, you have that flat and it, mm-hmm. and it just looks like you have like, you know, your, your guard. Um, yeah. But those lines have to go towards your, the tip of your guard and the, that's a different hand yeah. sand than your wow. blade. <laughs> so it's just it's and they're they're looking at that stuff. They're looking at how how well your fit up is on your handle. If there's any seams, you're automatically disqualified. Wow. So if you have any gaps, I don't know if they're testing it with um with feeler gauges or anything like that. I assume I mean if you can if you can get a feeler gauge in something, you can see a gap in something. Yeah. Yeah. Usually um, yeah, that's true. But they're they're definitely like looking for those things, and and wow. you know they're they're looking at the hand sand quality, the your edge quality. So if you, you know, it, I I um, grind all of my knives freehand. Yeah. So you know, like even grinding with a, a jig, you don't get completely perfect grinds. 
you know, like no, there's, no. you can smooth stuff out and clean it up and get it close to perfect. And a lot of stuff shows up on your hand sandy. And so you can go back and fix stuff after, but they're, they're testing your edge. And if your edge doesn't have the same measurement all the way along the edge, that's another thing they're going to knock you on. And it's stuff like that. I mean, they're, they're obviously like journeyman Smith. You're not, you're not expected to have perfect knives when you show up there, but you're also expected to have journeyman Smith quality knives. And so that's why I think that's, that's a little more uh, difficult than, you know, a test knife. Like I, I, with that, um, uh, I can't remember what I called this knife, but this knife, the, the fruit to forge one that I did that test video with. Okay. Um, I chopped through two, two by fours, um, did a bunch of paper cut tests. Uh, I shaved hair off my arm. Uh, you know, I, I tested this knife, you know, pretty much to the same. You would have a test knife too without bending at 90 degrees and it performed perfectly. And this, I would not use that knife's way too thick for that test. Um, cause obviously when, when you make a knife that ha you want to bend, it needs a thinner cross section. Like your heat treat only goes so far into flexibility of a knife. It's your cross section that gives you the, the flexible performance. Yeah. And so it's, it's just stuff like that, that you have to go in and understand and, and you can't have any edge deformation or chipping or anything like that and it it has to like bend 90 without breaking or cracking wow yeah and i mean we as knife makers know that's not an easy task to accomplish no yeah so you want to do that for next blade shows that what your plan is hopefully be ready for then yeah so you have to be um a, a, an apprentice uh in the abs for three years to test or you can yeah. be in it for two years, but you have to take a beginner approved beginner bladesmith course oh, okay. and you can do it in two years. And so I hit three years, actually right around the time the, the blade show this year was supposed to happen. Oh, okay. Um, Cause I, I like entered the ABS as soon as I like thought I wanted to continue knife making. So yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, and so I'll be past my three-year mark, uh, and so I can do this stuff. Uh, and I, I, it's journeyman Smith doesn't mean you're going to sell more knives. It doesn't mean that you're better than the other knife makers who aren't journeyman Smith. I want to do it because I want to, I want to know that my knives are to that standard. Mm -hmm. I think that that's what it seems to be the most value when I think about it too. It's it's kind of like. You know, other people, like you say, like there's some incredible knife makers that I know aren't journeyman smiths or master smiths, mm -hmm. some just amazing ones, right? And and there's some that are. that are. And I think for me, if I was to ever do something like that, that's where I see the value in it too, because I don't see any master smiths really advertise that this knife was by a master smith. I mean, obviously, if you go to their website, they have their information mm -hmm. and stuff, but I don't find that something that they, they flaunt around. It's like, oh, yes... It's not like, hey, I'm Jeremy, you know, PhD. It's not like they don't do that. But I think for personal validation or just just that things like, is this really good enough? And having a specific standard to compare your work to, because I, I think, you know, 
the more you do this, the more you're honest with yourself and you realize where you actually are. It's like, yeah, I make a pretty good knife, not the best. Uh, and you kind of have a better target. Like I know where I want to be, you know, next year I'd like to have this part of my process just dialed in better. And I'd like, you know, but that's why you see a lot of, a lot of validation with uh, that the whole journeyman, the ABS society is just that personal confirmation of where you think you are. Yeah. You know? And that's exactly it. It's like, I mean, you have people in every field and every, they, they get these statuses and they, they think the status now makes them, you know, a, a better person in that field. It's like, no, yeah. I mean, you can get journeyman and still make, you know, crappy knives. You know, yeah. you just made good <laughs> knives for your journeyman test. Well, it's like, well, that's, that's true. standard yeah. I want to achieve. I, I, you know, like, and for me, like, my knives, the amount of work that goes into my knives is directly reflecting on the price. I'm not going to hand sand a knife at my base price. It's just not worth it. Yeah. To me. You know, if I'm only yeah. getting $300 for a knife, a sheath shipped, then you're not going to hand sand it finish. It, it just, that, that, that's next level work and it takes more time. So, you know, it, that's not a journeyman's knife. But I'm also not going to lie about those kind of things. You know, it's like, I know that I can bring my standard to a journeyman, journeyman Smith's level. Uh, I'm not going to do it for every knife because not everybody can afford that much work in a yeah. knife. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. I'll make sure, you know, I'll, I'll focus on the important stuff. The, the seam where my scales meet, my tang, it's going to be flush. You know, if I have a guard on it, there's not going to be any visual gaps. Uh, and, and just stuff like that. But, you know, as far as like the other stuff, like fit and finish is where, you know, price gets up there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it's all that little stuff that just take that stuff's all time. Like, and, and that's your most valuable asset that you have. I mean, mm-hmm. everybody has 24 hours in a day and we don't know how much time we have all together in our lifetime. So, you know, I don't, I don't care what you're using for materials, man. You, you got to make sure you're charging for your time. You know, I've had people say, yeah, they'll, they'll like, hey, can I bring my own scale material, my own steel and get a discount? I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll look at a receipt of what I pay for steel. And you're probably going to save it. Depending on the wood, you're going to save yourself 20 to 30 bucks. I'm like, well, only that? It's like <laughs> what you're buying is the time that I put into this thing. Yeah. You know, and that's like I I don't factor in material costs unless the material is expensive. You know, like it, one knife may take me a, a week to make, but if I'm having to do extra work on it, it can take me a month to make. Yeah. And it, it just depends on what my client wants. And that's why I'm like trying to stay away from full customs. It's yeah. like you get what I have on hand and you, you get the design that I make. And I'm, I'm like, you know, if somebody wants a skin and knife, pretty specific, what I tell them, you know, like, if they, especially if they send me pictures of somebody else's work, it's like, you know, I'll do that knife, but I'm not going to do it just like that. I'm going to do it in my style. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then you'll end up with a knife made by me. That looks like something I make. Yeah. If, the, if you're not okay with that, go to that knife maker. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. Right. And I, I have a quick question, just kind of going back real quickly. I'm just ignorant to this. So I hear people talking, I've seen it for sale, that vintage Westinghouse micarta. Do you, do you know what they use that for? Or what was its original purpose? Or do you okay. know? Did you ever work on Westinghouse equipment? No. Okay. Originally it was used for electrical panels. Oh, really? 
okay. Yeah, it was a precursor to fiberglass. Oh, um, okay. And a lot of it, like if you see, look, because so when I was working at Anderson Window, we had a couple old punch presses and stuff that had Westinghouse electrical systems on them. Oh, okay. And that's you know typically what it was was for your yeah. you know it's it's your board for your components um <laughs> it, it has it has a myriad of uses i mean uh, my carta was used in air force and the navy as a lightweight durable material uh the best way i can explain it is like the precursor to fiberglass or carbon fiber um and i i it's, it's hard to find. So if somebody just says, oh, this is Victor Westinghouse Micarta, it's probably not. Okay. Um, I, I deal with Hunter at Hawks Nest Custom. Yep. I know he got brought up before on here. And when he says something's vintage Westinghouse, it's because it is. Okay. The dude's a nerd for it. Um, yeah. And he's not trying to rip anybody off. And he's not like... He he is not trying to sully his name by selling you something that's not vintage Westinghouse. Yeah, yeah, that'd been kind of handy. I know when you're working on those machines and you open it up and you see this back panel. And next thing you know, the boss comes in. It's like, why are all these relays just hanging here? Oh, I don't <laughs> yeah. know. That's weird. That's weird. Oh. <laughs> that's yeah. funny. You know, I've seen McCarty he, used in like uh, jigs and, and different tooling and stuff and machine shops mm-hmm. and stuff, but I didn't know what the Westinghouse was. I, I guess I never thought about that. I wonder if that's more American because I have not seen my, like very many things industrial that's Westinghouse. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think it, it was. I, I mean, Westinghouse was doing everything from microwaves to elevators. Uh, so, I mean, they, they were obviously using it for other stuff, too. I mean, obviously, an elevator is not going to be made out of micarta, but the components yeah. and stuff like that. And you do see thicker, like some of the equipment I worked on, like the work rest, because you can get micarta super flat, was made out of micarta. And it's just stuff like that. Um, obviously, the, you know, there's still micarta being used in industrial settings all the time. It's lightweight. It's yeah. cheap. And well, it's cheap now, um, and it's durable. So those like it's that's one of the great things about using it on a knife is it's lightweight, it's relatively cheap, it's durable, and it's like stain resistant, shock resistant for the most part, and stuff like that. So it's mm-hmm. um, nicely machinable. Exactly. Uh, yeah, and it, yeah. It, like you can you can tap holes into it and stuff like that, and so. Yeah, my card is amazing, but, uh, and I, you know, there's, there, it's a weird community around kind of the Westinghouse and the vintage stuff. Cause you know, like some people claim it's vintage, even if it's not like, I'll go on Etsy every now and then and I'll see some sellers say, saying this is vintage. And it's like, no, that doesn't look vintage. Like usually there's a patina mm. on vintage my Carta. like it, it ages. Oh and really? If you cut into it especially really old stuff you'll see there's there's like a border where it's a different color and so that's that's and that looks really cool that shows up when you grind too and contour yeah and um that's cool if you get some of that really old stuff you you get a lot of that and it, it really it's it's a cool look um i don't use a lot of it just because my card is very smelly when you grind into it uh, yeah. And if you don't, but uh, isn't mammoth tooth like? Is that like bone or no? Yeah, it is. 
Um, oh, I can't handle that. People ask me to do bone all the time, and I just say, no, I, I just don't want to work with it. See, the, or antler. I'm yeah, like, no, sorry. that's the aesthetic of my knives, um, the brute to forge stuff has a, a you know because i'm kind of going for that older look the older new look yeah um i do work with uh antler and bone and stuff like that this is this one has elk stag oh wow that's nice and i yeah and i had to process the elk stag myself so i cut it on my table saw and then cleaned it up on my band saw then ground it flat on, wow. on a, a wood sander and then you know it and then I did everything else. Once I got it to the shape of the knife, this is all file work, so I can minimize wow. the amount of grinder dust. But because stuff's not yeah, good you for you, too, isn't it? Like oh, I've heard, no, it's, it's quite carcinogenic. Yeah, it's bad. It's yeah. Bad. Well, yeah. I, I I think because it sits in your lungs and doesn't break down. Oh, um, okay. And so yeah, I I just recently bought a full face mask. It's not a it's not a like you know, forced air respirator, but it's, it's still, yeah. I don't have to fumble around with, you know, eye protection and, you know, like yeah. a half face. Um, so I just pop that on and, and use it, but it's still, I mean, I, I don't have like a clean room in my shop. So the grinder dust just sits. Yeah. And I, one of my future projects is to move a lot of stuff out and make a, a grinding room. Oh, okay, right and on. then ha- have like actual, um, like vacuum system set up yeah. in there, uh, and that's that's just so because like even even when you know like you know my my grinders and stuff like even after I'm done grinding that dust will sit in the air or it'll settle down on all my handle material mm. or my workbenches and it's just getting everything dirty. But if I can yeah. consolidate that into one room, it's I'm not breathing that stuff in constantly. Yeah, that's a good call. Yeah, every time I go, yeah, every time I go to pick up a set of calipers and stuff, I'm not breathing in yeah. dust. Yeah, exactly. That's cool. Well, yeah. it's been a really interesting conversation. There's been a a few more things I'd like to talk to you about, but I was half thinking maybe we could plan another session. Um, particularly, yeah, I'm cool um, with that. yeah, there's a, there's a few things. So, if you guys don't follow James. Uh, you need to follow them. And I have one quick question for you. Your your Instagram handle, American Wastelander, what, where'd that come from? I like that. So I'm, like, I grew up as a punk rock kid. Um, yeah. uh, you know, like, this is going to get a little political, I guess. But so, That's like, fine. Um, a little politics. People can deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, punk rock people tend to not like the government in general. Um, I believe in holding the government accountable and the government's mm-hmm. not there for the government's sake. It's there for the people's sake. Yeah. And so like, I'm, I'm also a veteran. Um, yep. and so the, the title of my Instagram came after being a veteran and being in the, the army, but, um, it's just kind of, you know, I see America, like America is a great country that has a potential to be a great country. The people are great. Our system is messed up. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, we live in an American wasteland kind of deal, you know, like you're, it, 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 it's a great country, but like any country, it's got its flaws. And, and to be, in my opinion, a a patriot is somebody who cares about the country and the people Mm -hmm. and holds the government accountable. Mm -hmm. Do you you know what my definition of a patriot is? 
is yeah. someone who's willing to protect his country, even if it means from its own government. Exactly. Exact same thing, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. No, that's interesting. Yeah. And, and so I like that name. And, and then my actual like business name, my forge name is Wasteland Forge. And I know it's, it's like weird disconnected. I don't, I don't want to part with my Instagram name. So I just have it's. I think it works weird. perfect together. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. That's, I thought it was something like that, you know, kind of just like all this potential that's being wasted. And yeah, mm-hmm. that's not too political. No, people can handle that. I think most people, at least I agree with you, you know. Yeah. Um, and I mean, obviously in Canada, I feel the exact same way. We've got so much going for us that it could be amazing. But uh, yeah, if anybody follows Canadian politics, they know that they know that the my goodness, the government in place right now, it's it's unbelievable what they're doing. Um, it should all be in jail, like like factually. The fact yeah. of the matter is, it doesn't matter which side you're on; they should be in jail. But the government should never yeah. be a for-profit system. It should be no, a for the people. And, and then we're falling in, yeah. you know, the opposite. So, and, and that's just, you know, like, you know, like you can, whoever, if you guys disagree with me, whatever, you can say I'm not a patriot or whatever you want, but I served for my country. And, you know, like if, if you're saying that I'm not a patriot, then you're saying a lot of soldiers aren't. Yeah. So yeah. I'm just going to throw that out there. Yeah. No. And, and, and the thing is too, is that like, it's a diversity that makes a country, you have to be able to have it. Right. And people mm-hmm. can think different things about their country. And the biggest thing is we have to respect those opinions. Like uh, just going back to our conversation that you and I had, we talked for like three hours on Saturday. Right. And yeah. there's a lot of things that we see eye to eye on, but then there's a lot of places where it's like, yeah, I, I, I'm not totally in agreement with you. Yeah. But at the end of that conversation, I said, you know what, do you want to come on my podcast? Right. Because that's important. It's the important thing is not to think like everybody else, but it's being able to be like, you know what, I'm a human being. I've got my ideas, my thoughts, and I'll listen to yours. We can have a talk about it. And at the end of it, no matter how bad I disagree, you're still human being. And I'm going to respect you for the fact that you think thoughts. Yeah. And that, whether I agree with them or not. And, and right? that's like, that's just it. At, at no point did our conversation get hostile, even when we disagreed with each other. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, I, and I like, it's, and that's so, it's hard to find people to do that. Yeah. With. It, and it's so unnecessary <laughs> for you to get mad at somebody for not agreeing with the same thing as you, you know, if, if it's something like, Oh, you, you think all Muslims should die. Okay. I disagree with you and you're a piece of shit. Yeah. You know, yeah. not all Muslims are bad people. Yeah. But, you know, you can you can say, well, I don't believe in this law or I do believe in this law and we can have a civil conversation about that law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As, as long as you know, like and 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 I may disagree with you wholeheartedly, but that doesn't mean you're a bad person because you agree with that law. Yeah. You know, and I think the thing that people don't realize that they hold on to their view, like say if I I'm coming into a conversation, this is my point of view. If if I won't if if I hear something different like oh instantly no nope, can't handle it no nope, you know and just instantly you work up the one thing is you don't do anything to strengthen or bolster your own idea of your own view mm-hmm. right like if I've got a view and I listen to somebody present a, a an argument I'm either going to change my view or else I'll be like yeah you know what I came into this thinking this I heard a challenge to it and even after going through that process and discussing it I believe stronger in what I believe. Right. And, and so it's it's either, in my opinion, your beliefs could be flawed or they could be right. And if you're if you are not going to look at anything other than exactly what you believe, the strength of your beliefs aren't going to be there. 
right? They have to be challenged. They have to be questioned. You have to yeah. have intelligent conversations with people and be like, yeah, okay. And there's been things that I've been like, no, I, I, this is where I'm at right here. And I'll have a conversation with somebody. I'm like, ah, you know, I, I never really thought about that. You know, they know things that you introduced me to ideas and, and stuff, uh, even like without getting into it, like with, with some gun control stuff that I'd never heard of before. Right. And I was like, oh, this is how it is. And it's like, oh, okay. And so it's, it, I didn't change where I was, but I was like, ah, it kind of made me, and I'm, I'm delving more into my own ideas because of a, an opposite view that you had or some different information you presented. So, yeah. and you just think about where, where we would be right now, even like, I can't put anything on, on social media first. If I say anything political within literally within nine seconds, it's gone. Like I always thought that, you know what, if you ever want to have a voice, you build an audience. And, and so I've always just, I've always thought, you know what, nobody wants to hear some guy with five subscribers talking about his political beliefs, right? And I'm still not going to get political because it's not, people don't want to, nobody has ever watched or subscribed to my YouTube or follow me on Instagram to say, I just wonder if he's going to give his political view anytime in the future. They don't care about that. They just, they want to see knives ultimately, right? Or a video. Um, And I remember I put a couple things and they weren't, we weren't that bad, but like, Every time I put something up is gone, like within nine seconds. And I've seen other people that have like 300 followers put the exact same thing up, say the exact same things and it's left. So it's like, it's crazy. I think the bigger accounts are monitored more to make sure that it's within their agenda. Um, and even that, like they can't handle anything like, like in YouTube, when COVID first came out, if you had COVID in the title, yeah. they, they, they demonetized your video or they took it down. And it's like, wow, so they're literally just controlling it. And that's kind of the same thing we just talked about. Like different views are great. It makes the world go round. We just need to give individuals respect that, hey, I'll listen to your view, your whole thing. And, and, and if we're having a conversation, then you can listen to mine. At the end of it, if we come out saying, hey, I still think you're wrong and I still think I'm right. But let's be friends. You know, yeah. I, I respect the fact that you can stand up for what you believe in, you know, and I really appreciate that about you. Well, that, that's just it. If it's a civil conversation or even a so, civil argument, like it, not all arguments are yeah. all, you know, fire and brimstone. We're not, you know, yelling at each other. Oh, well, I'm right. It's like, no, like we can argue and, and still carry on to have a civil conversation. Yeah. And, and you're, you know, you argue the values of your points. It's like, well, this is this way I think about, I think this because of this. And it's like, no, you, it's, it, it should never be, you should think this because of this. It's, I think this because of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, you, with information that you should never use information to try to control other people, only your own thoughts on yeah. it. And yeah, exactly. And say, so, you know, I saw this and that's why I believe this way. You know, mm-hmm. do you, and, and the thing too is like, what do you see with this information? A lot of people use facts just to prove their point or, and even it's hard to, to say what is a fact these days, depending on the source, but it's like, you know, I saw this stuff. So if you see this information, would you think the same thing that I do? Right. And it's just, yeah. Well, that's crazy manipulation stuff. of the information. It's like, you can, you can say part of a fact mm-hmm. that benefits your side of the argument and <laughs> yeah. not use the whole fact that would actually put it in the middle or on the other side. Yeah. It's like, Oh, well I'm using these statistics, which statistics are manipulated to further my argument. It's like, well, you know, this many of this is why this happens. It's like, well, that's only a percentage of the whole. You got to use all the information for your arguments and value. Yeah, for sure. Right on. Well, that was cool. So I'd like to end the show. Uh, do you have, I don't know if you're ready for this or not, but usually I like to give some type of a recommendation could be anything like a book, YouTube channel, a video, 
radio station, anything, anything you would recommend that the listeners might find interesting that you enjoy? Um, I just started Dr. Laren. Um, is oh, it yes. Laren Tom Thompson's? Thomas? Yeah. Yeah. Thomas I just started Thompson, his yeah. book and yeah, it's really good. Um, so far, it is. uh, uh, that's definitely a recommendation. Uh, I'm going to do an opposite of a recommendation because they're making me mad right now. Okay, I don't cool. know if you've ever shopped at True Grit. Um, yeah. Okay, the like last them. time I... Sh- eh, for some reason. So the last time <laughs> I shopped there, it, it took like a month for me to get my stuff. Um, okay. And I, I was needing some belts for my... Um, four by 36 or four by 42 yeah no 36 grinder you know like it's one of those woodworking grinders yeah uh, yeah and i you know i'm not gonna spend the the money on that because i just use that to get scale spots so i needed something somewhat inexpensive and yeah. uh so i i ordered something from them on the 8th and i haven't even got a shipping notification wow yeah you just fight because I I've ordered from them quite a bit and I have well actually I'd say I haven't ordered from them for a few years. I know that like two or three years ago they may have changed, but they were I'd order some and one time I was ordering some two inch wide belts that were scalloped and then also some one inch wide, and they called me. They said we just want you to know that you're ordering two different sizes and and if this is a mistake we can fix it. But I was like no 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 I want the two inch and the one inch. They called me within like probably ten minutes of me placing the online order, but that's weird that that's not. Yeah, and see, I'm not I've, quite up to par anymore. I've had, um, you know, they'll in the past like contact me and say, "Hey, you know, we're out of this. Um, we can do this instead, and you know, like this is actually more expensive, but we'll keep it at the same price, kind of deal." Uh, and then, like the last couple of times I ordered, it was just like zero communication. Uh, shipping took forever. Like, and I'm not even talking about like the shipping company. I'm talking about them just getting it out. And like, um, yeah, yeah, and I actually need to call them after this oh, to figure out what's going on because it was a large order. It wasn't just belts. I I bought you know uh, other supplies and stuff, and it's just like, yeah, well, that's too bad. I you know communication is important. It's like, and and if you don't have something in stock and you're waiting for it, let me know and send the rest of my stuff. Yeah, you know, especially if I'm paying you know X amount for shipping. Yeah, but yeah, so yeah. You know, we found a lot of stuff, um, a lot of companies we've noticed are saying stuff's in stock and then you buy it and then you get the, the confirmation email that says it's on back order. I'm like, dude, really? You could have let me know because I need this yeah, now. If we've it, had that a lot. Yeah. If it if it's not in stock, I'm going to spend my money somewhere else so that I can get it. You know, exactly. usually us as knife makers, like we run belts until we don't have belts left. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, like every now and then I'll be like, okay, I've got two, uh, two of these um, 36 grit combat abrasive belts left i've got two of these and two of these all right i need to make an order uh but Mm -hmm. you know typically it's like all right i'm you know this belt's not cutting anymore i need to buy belts and uh and that's just you know like we're knife makers we're focused on the the knife making part and all of that other stuff it's got to it it comes second and like that's part of running a business that you know starting out you got to figure this out so that way you're never down yeah yeah for sure Oh, that's too bad. Hopefully you get your stuff, get it sorted out. I'll jump into uh, my recommendation. And actually, this is somebody both you and I know. I'm going to recommend Jesse Killian. 
Is that how you sell his name? Killian? Yeah. Yeah. Marlboro Handcraft. Yeah. Like him and I do the videos. Yeah. He's, he's. Yeah. You guys, every Friday, is it Friday nights to do beer and blaze live on Instagram? So you guys check that out. Yeah. It's like once a month. Yeah. No, it's good stuff. Uh, I actually ordered a t-shirt from him. Uh, tank top. I haven't seen many knife makers offer tank tops and I feel like I'm hard done by when it hits like 90 degrees. I feel like I'm going to die. <laughs> so I'm like, like I'm just going to wander around my shorts and a tank top and make dives. And I, but yeah, I ordered one of his and then uh, he sent me a cool, a couple other things to test out. So uh, definitely a good guy is, is interesting because watching his process right now, he's, he's getting into forging his knives. And it's cool because he's very honest, like in, in his stories and stuff, mm-hmm. he'll, he'll screw something up. And he's like, uh, it's done. I just wrecked something, you know? Uh, but as a, somebody watching that, you learn from that, right? You know, there's, you, you don't learn from accounts where it's like, yeah. Hey, look what I made. I mean, I mean, I shouldn't say you don't learn cause you do, but I really enjoy the, the folks that are brutally honest and they'll, okay, they'll put it in stories and it's like, Oh, it's going so good. Going so, Oh man, I overheated this and I melted this or whatever. So, um, yeah, definitely cool. He's making some cool stuff. Started like actually making his own hammers. I think just recently started that, right? Mm-hmm. He made a son, a um, mild steel. I think it was a one pound, 16 ounce hammer. Uh, and that was like the first one he made. And I was like, dude, you're going to have to make me a mild steel hammer now because I need something for like, like, you know, a softer hammer for my punches and stuff like that. Yeah, that's cool. So yeah, I'll put that link in the show notes, Marlboro Handcraft on Instagram. And then uh, where can people reach you on all the different places? So I, I mean, if you want to follow me on Facebook, I post more political stuff. So it's just my name, James Fleming. Um, <laughs> and then it, my knife stuff, like pretty much how you contact me and everything is on Instagram at American underscore Wastelander. Right on. Well, James, I appreciate your time. Thanks so much for coming on. No problem. Thank you, Jeremy. And uh, it was a good com- good conversation. I think people really enjoy this. And uh, thanks to everybody for listening to the uh, the Makery Network for Craig and all the other wonderful podcasts out there. It's it's so cool to be a part of this. And uh, it, it's, I mean, I mean, I know the Makery is supposed to be for makers in general, and it is, but it's it's a lot of fun having just such niche stuff. <laughs> like now there's how many podcasts a week that you can listen to that are pretty much going to talk about knife making or making things for knife making. Like a couple years ago, this didn't exist. So it's so cool to be a part of and uh, appreciate all the work they do there. So... Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you on the next episode. If you like this show, take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network. 